Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and in today's podcast, I'll first be talking with reporter Marlene Sokol about Hillsborough County School District's air conditioning problems. Then, editor Tom Tobin will join me for a conversation about some of the bills that are starting to pop up for the coming legislative session in the Florida House and Senate. First, our conversation with Marlene. So Marlene, we're going to talk today about the wonderful world of Hillsborough County air conditioning in the public schools. And oh yeah. I know from visiting one school on a Saturday morning when they were having back-to-school meet-the-teacher day, they had most of the buildings over-air-conditioned, and one room was just, like, super hot. I mean, like a sauna, and I felt so bad for the teacher just for that one hour when they were there. I cannot imagine it all day, every day. What are they doing about this? How did this even happen? Well, how it happened um, goes back, this is a problem that's been years and probably decades in the making. In fact, I I think it's absolutely fair to say that this is not the fault of Jeff Akins or Chris Farkas, his facilities chief, or the current administration. Um, This is one of the few cases where you can clearly lay the blame at the last superintendent, Mary Ellen Ilya. Because for years, the district did not spend resources that it needed to maintaining its facilities, and that goes for the buses and the air conditioners. Um, There's a lot of numbers I could throw out, but one statistic, their maintenance staff is about the same size as it was before they built 70 new schools. So, you know, they they have not, for years, they did not do routine maintenance just like you and I do in our home you know, changing the filters and calling the guy out to check the lines and make sure the drainage is working properly. Can I stop you for a second? Did you say did you say seventy new schools and they hadn't changed the number of people? Yes, yes, they still have. They they have twenty two uh, technicians who can fix air conditioning, and they get more than two hundred service calls a day. Um, and these are not simple jobs. These are things like Blake High School, which is like the only air conditioner of its kind. And Blake is messed up because they're waiting for a part. But, you know, these are very complicated systems. It's very specialized work. And they have 22 people. So what they do is triage. They have a list of the 15 to 20 most desperate cases where the entire school is hot And they go to those rather than the one where it's just one wing of the school or one floor of the school. I'm trying to wrap my head around this because it is it is so hot outside and you have kids inside these brick buildings with no air conditioning. I don't even know. Can the windows open? No, and no ventilation. I mean, some of them you have windows that can open, but you don't have the cross ventilation like you did in the old days. Um, and I don't, I don't know how many of them even can open the windows or are allowed to. Um, you hear stories about teachers buying wall units and just kind of sneaking it in. You know, a lot of teachers buying fans. Um, and every, every school is built differently. And, and you have some cases where the media center is cool. So, you know, the classes are taking their kids to the media center to learn. 
Um, you also have kids going home because of the heat, and it's an excused absence. If you can't handle the heat and you have to go home, then, you know, then they, they count it as excused. So there are all different situations, you know, ranging from it, it didn't work today, but it works tomorrow to it, it doesn't work at all. Uh, every variety. Are they saying that this school system might need to just close school until it's fixed? Nobody's saying that. In fact, there was a press conference last week and one of the TV reporters it was very aggressive and, and kind of, you know, got in Jeff Akins' face and said, how hot does it have to be before you shut down the schools? How hot does it have to be? And he asked it about five times and Akins never answered. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a – because – and what everybody does, just like they did last year, is they count the days until it's November. And then, and then the problem goes away for a few months. But so, but getting back to whose fault it is, I, I think it's the district, and this is where I get a little bit annoyed with them. Um, you know, they put out these like two pagers, you know, kind of a fact sheet, and they and they hand it out to everybody, and we say, oh, thank you very much for this fact sheet, and it's in real big type, you know, and real little words, so we in the media can understand. But they, they place all of the blame on the state. They say it is, this is because the state lowered the millage cap, you know, property taxes. You know, we can't charge as much as we used to. It's one and a half mills instead of two mills. It's because of PICO funding that went down. Um, it's because the state is not giving the districts enough capital funding. Um, I kind of wish that in addition to blaming the state, they would acknowledge that, again, the school district, and this goes back more than a decade, has not been well managed. You know, they did not take care of their physical assets. When you build a new school, the air conditioner is supposed to last between 20 and 25 years. Some of these are fairly new schools like Steinbrenner High School, Strawberry Crest. The air conditioning goes out after 10 years or 12 years if you do not maintain it properly. If it were really the fault of the state, you would think that other school districts would have a similar problem because they would have the same limited resources, especially the growing ones. We can look to, say, Pasco or Orange or some of those other school districts, and we are not hearing about AC problems like this because they get, like, maybe a call saying, like, my classroom thermostat isn't working, but I've not seen any wide-scale things like this going on in other schools. Yeah, and it's kind of mushroomed a couple more numbers because people say it's it's always been this way. And, and Jeff Akins at one point said, even when I was a teacher, you know, but they actually track the number of service calls um, it, since 2011. The head of maintenance in, in the year 2011-12, they got like 19,000 service calls. This past school year, they got 27,000. So it's a 40% increase, and they charted it out. So every year, the problem gets worse and worse and worse. The equipment gets older. Um, you get more service calls, and, and so it, it really is mushrooming. Um, in terms of morale, you know, thanks to social media, and you've got the site like The Whistleblower, which a lot of people look at, you have a lot more people venting very publicly about the problem. So it's not just that it's a problem. Everybody knows about it, and everybody's commiserating, you know, through social media. So it's, it's, it's getting a lot more attention. 
So basically, it's sort of like all these other issues that have sort of grown because it's not just one person at one school. It's now one person at one school sharing with another person at another school. And suddenly you have hundreds upon hundreds of people all with the same concerns and they all come out together. Yeah. And then that makes you aware as a parent because maybe your child didn't say anything. And then you say, hey, Johnny, was it hot in school? You know, you might not know. You know, your child may or may not be vocal enough to, to tell you. And, and again, it affects different people differently. You have children with asthma. You have children who are not in good physical condition, let's face it. Um, and same thing with adults. I mean, you have some adults who can tolerate it better than others. And I've spoken to teachers who were pregnant. I know several teachers in, in this situation. And one of the things that happens when you're pregnant is you're very sensitive to smell. And, and when, when you're classroom is 88 degrees, it smells and the kids smell. So I, I've heard some very gross stories, you know, from, from teachers about it. Um, it's been bad for morale too. I think a lot of people were, you know, hoping for a happy start to the new school year. And, you know, that's when your, you know, your morale is supposed to be the highest and you're so enthusiastic. This does not help morale. So if this is the problem, what is the solution? Are they finding any money or cutting any other things in order to make the repairs that are necessary? Uh, they're doing little things around the edges. They are going to hire five new technicians. They're finally going to do that. So the number of AC techs will increase from 22 to 27. Now, that's not going to make much of a dent when you're getting over 200 trouble calls a day, and, and some of these are so convoluted that the tech doesn't even know what to do. But at least it's a start. Um, they're also reaching out to more contractors. They, they had nine different companies working for them. Two of them basically walked off the job. They threw up their hands and said, look, we, we can't handle this kind of work. But they're calling down the list of the other seven that did not get, you know, that did not win in the bidding. And they're saying, hey, even though we didn't select you, could you come do some work for us? Um, in terms of extra money being freed up, I don't know of any extra money that, that, that's being made available for this. Um, if that's happening, I'm not aware of it. Seems like they would have to do that. Otherwise, they won't ever really get a handle on the situation. Yeah, and that's what comes down to uh, they are looking at a budget year, and they don't like when I say this, but looking at their budget, they are headed for a year where they spend $100 million more than they are taking in in taxes. Now, the $100 million, it's going to come out of various reserve funds, you know, and they've got five or six different, they call them checkbooks, but they are still in deficit spending. Um, you know, they're just using the, the reserve accounts to balance the budget. So when you say, where is the money going to come from? You know, you've got payroll is the single biggest expense, and they are in the middle of union negotiations. I'm about to leave the office and go attend one of the union negotiations. But the teachers have asked for basically a $65 million package, um, raises and everything. And we'll see if that happens. But, it, you know, how do you say no to the teachers, you know, who, who their position is this is our pay schedule and this is money that's owed to us. Sounds like they already told them no because they told them no for air conditioning. You know, it's I I don't know where I don't know where the money's going to come from, and you get pushback no matter what you did. They cut back courtesy busing to save a few million dollars a year. 
you know, that that decision has not gone over easily either because you've got horrendous traffic jams um, in the places where that happened. But getting back to the air conditioning, even here's the really scary thing that we've been told is even if money were no object, even if they had all the money in the world, at this point, there are not enough air conditioners, there are not enough vendors, there are not enough contractors. You know, I mean, I think at this point what they need to do is start taking care of these new air conditioners that they are putting in one by one. In fact, they're going to do six new systems this year. Six schools will get new air conditioners. They they need to take care of their air conditioners and, and just not let this happen again. But there is no quick fix to this problem. Well, I'm sure everybody in the Hillsborough County schools is just so happy with our conversation here. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for, for, for letting me share all this wonderful information. Yes, and thank you because we know that the Hillsborough School District has become this, the district that always has something interesting to talk about. I'm never bored. So that was our conversation with Marlene Sokol, who it's always great to have here on the podcast. And now I want to turn to our more regular commentator, Editor Tom Tobin. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Jeff. How are you today? Oh, you know, I'm hanging in there. It's been a pretty busy week for me um, going through what appears to be the start of a new legislative session with some some bills popping up in addition to visiting some schools as school is underway and talking with teachers and parents and, and a variety of other people, even superintendents. I'll give them some some do there, too. So it's been busy. But, you know, I know we've been looking a lot at these bills a lot of it looks like it's some stuff that just didn't get through. Imagine that, something that didn't make it into 7069 coming back. Um, you, you and I have been taking a look at one at these different bills. Is there one that has stuck out to you in particular that you want to start off with? Yeah, I'd like to look at, uh, discuss uh, Senate Bill 192. That's the one uh, that, was, that appeared uh, last year. And it's appearing once again about uh, allowing school board members and members of other elected bodies to uh, meet uh, privately, uh, two or more members, um, uh, without any public notice if, if they don't discuss any official acts or, or uh, public business. Um, this was uh, debated. Uh, uh, it had an interesting debate um, in the House uh, last year last session. And I, I went back and looked at some of the arguments. It was uh, an interesting debate. We had um, Representative Byron Donalds of Naples, who said um, he was supporting uh, the bill at the time, uh, allowing uh, public officials to meet in secret. And his quote was, with this uh, provision that members cannot talk at all, he's talking about the current law, it treats every local official like they're a bad actor. And he says, um, not every conversation is ready for public consumption. Um, another representative, uh, Don Hanfelt uh, of the Villages, uh, said, uh, called the current law an extreme impediment to progress. Um, so, uh, of course, there are people on the other side it's, who just uh, want to preserve uh, the sunshine uh, that we have regarding public records and public meetings in this state. I think, you know, as, as uh, news media, we tend to uh, keep our opinions uh, out of everything, but I think everyone in our business would agree that I think uh, uh, having more records and uh, more sunshine on public meetings is is best uh, is the best way to go for society. So um, I don't know how this will fare in the House again this year, um, but uh, we we shall see. Have you had have you heard any uh, talk about this? I know it's early. 
Well, right now, I've just seen the Senate bill. There really hasn't been a lot of conversation. I will point out a couple of things, though. One is that the bill is different from last year's bill in some ways. It, it kind of represents more what happens now, that they can talk privately amongst themselves if the items aren't going to be coming up for public business. That's the way it's supposed to be. But it, it offers some inroads into that bill that they tried to push through last year, which allowed for, like you said, private conducting of public business. The business that we as the public are paying for, and it's being done in our names for us. So it still has that, even though the, that with that change, it still has that sort of trust me quality, you know, nothing going on here. Uh, how would anyone know that no business transacted if, if, if no one was there, you know? That's very true. And, and that's what I'm talking about. It, it's, it, it's language that doesn't necessarily need to be written into law because a lot of things like this happen anyway. Last year I had, maybe it was two years ago already, I had a newly elected school board member who wanted to have a party at her house after she was sworn in and she invited all the board members and staff from the school district to attend. And we had a long conversation about whether she needed to publicly notice it and invite everybody from the public to come too. And she did actually do that out of an abundance of caution, but her lawyer, the district lawyer, said, you don't have to because it's not likely that you're going to be discussing board business over cookies and punch. And so that's kind of like it happens that way. But if you have something that actually is in the law that clarifies this, it's sort of laying the groundwork for times when you can come together and meet and not have it be made known publicly that you're doing that. It just, it opens the gate. I also want to point out that Representative Donalds, who's a freshman lawmaker, was just recently elevated to vice chairman of education appropriations in the House. And that's a pretty key position for someone with limited uh, experience in the legislature. And he's been carrying a lot of water for the House leadership, and we can look for him to do some more bills and some more activities that are on the more conservative end of the spectrum. His wife, of course, is the Collier County School Board member who sits on the Constitution Review Commission as an appointee of Speaker Corcoran. I look back at the votes uh, on the bill uh, from last year, and it did. The House leadership was uh, on the yes side too. They were they voted for this bill, so that was that was interesting. Um, Jeff, uh, you've you've been following a couple of other uh, bills that have been uh, filed and discussed so far this week. Uh, what are what are a couple of the other ones you've you've looked at? Well, I'm fascinated by the bill that would. Um, Again, look at putting computer coding as a foreign language. Students would be able to, under this bill, which is filed by Senator Brandis from St. Petersburg, um, substitute foreign language requirements part of the scholar and merit diplomas that students can receive at the high school level. And it also is used for part of the best, the bright futures and some of the other things in order to um, qualify for things at college level. And this bill would allow students to replace foreign languages, Spanish, German, whatever, with computer coding, and it would require the universities and colleges to accept that in the state of Florida. It would make clear that the out-of-state schools don't necessarily have that option, so parents would have to sign something saying, we recognize that. This, this bill has been controversial, not because computer coding is a bad thing, because it's not, and, and everybody kind of acknowledges that it's an important thing for students to learn, 
but the idea of it replacing foreign languages. Uh, yeah, that's been the most controversial part. Uh, there are many that argue that you know the foreign language skills are still very much needed, uh, that the jobs uh, uh, requiring those skills are, are, going to, are going to far outnumber the ones that uh, require uh, knowledge in computer coding even. Um, of course, the, the pros uh, for the bill is, is that it helps out kids um, by getting a, a waiver and allowing them to study co- uh, coding instead of a foreign language. It helps those kids um, with uh, speech and learning disabilities um, who struggle to meet those uh, foreign language requirements. And obviously, it also prepares you for the, uh, the jobs in the technology sector. Um, I think and when the legislature turned this down in this past session, there was um, they threw out uh, a bone uh, to the supporters of this, uh, you know, saying, well, we'll, we'll look at strengthening, uh, getting the Department of Education to strengthen uh, the curriculum when it comes to uh, uh, technology and coding. I think that we can look forward to another year of heavy debate over this bill if it if it gets anywhere. The people who are really strong supporters of foreign language learning are going to be vocal on this. They're the ones who have already started emailing me saying, hey, you know, this is still a bad bill. We're still opposed to this. Not, We're not opposed to coding. We're opposed to the replacing of foreign language. Foreign language is important, and that's why we have students learn it. I mean, try and survive some places in Florida, like South Florida, without knowing Spanish very well. You're, you're just not going to do it. So Right. And again, this is another one of those bills that we talked about at the top, you know, that has come up over and over again. I think you pointed out in... In your gradebook post uh, this week, it's come up in 2014, 2016, and again this year. So uh, we'll we'll try it another one. Uh, four strikes and you're out. That's the way it works for, for this one at least. Maybe it's the fourth time is the charm. Exactly. We'll yes. S- we'll see. So there, there's a new one that's come up this year, and this is related to school board term limits. This is actually an item that Senator Stubbe put forward as a joint resolution, which would mean that it would be a constitutional amendment vote. The voters would have to approve this because it is in the Constitution that this, the term, the terms of school board members. And he is proposing that school board members be limited to two four-year terms, similar to even the unelected members of the State Board of Education. Members of the legislature have term limits. The governor has term limits. And so he's looking to the school board members to also have term limits. This is something that really hasn't come up before, but it points us in the direction of where I think the Constitution Review Commission might be going. There are going to be a lot of thoughts about what should we do with the public education system and who runs it. And, and this is like being seen as a shot across the bow to school board members especially the ones who have opposed a lot of the things that the legislature has been doing. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with this one, but it's already raised the radar screens of of a lot of people. I don't know about you, Jeff, but I've always had a uh, tough time formulating an opinion on this. I I really think a strong argument can be made on on both sides. You know, on the one side, in favor of, you know, uh, term limits, you don't, you you prevent uh, people from getting entrenched. You know, you get new blood cycling through. You don't allow members to become too terribly powerful um, or complacent. And um, it's just uh, on you know the other side, you lose. It, you know, if you if you if you do have term limits, you you lose that sort of institutional memory. Um, and there's something to be said for experience. So 
I, I've over the years I've really had a really hard time um, figuring out which way you know as a citizen I'd like to see the state go on some of these uh, offices. It's interesting because you look at school boards and a lot of times they are very long-term people. I know in Pinellas County you have a lot of people who have been around for a very long time. And and sometimes the turnover, it happens all at once and you lose a whole bunch of people because they all decide to retire at the same time, you know, according to those staggered terms. But, you know, those people are around and a lot of times they say they don't, even after 20 years on a board, think that anybody knows who they really are. They're just names on a ballot and they go about doing their business. And until they do something really controversial, they they can continue to, to run and win. Uh but is that a bad thing? I'm not sure. I always kind of looked at it as term limits are when voters vote someone out. That that's, uh, seems like a sound one to me, but I could I could easily go the other way, as I outlined before. We have one uh, Pinellas County School Board member. I looked it up yesterday. She uh, was first elected in 1990 and has been reelected ever since. Linda Lerner, our long, long-serving uh, board member in Pinellas County. And she doesn't look to be going away, right? She doesn't, and I think uh, that that uh, tenure would make her the, the dean of school board members, at least in our area, and I'd be hard-pressed to think of one uh, in any other part of the state uh, who's uh, more than her or much more than her in terms of years of service. Well, there's one more bill that I wanted to just call attention to, <clears throat> and this has got a lot of resonance here in the Tampa Bay area, but also around the state because a lot of school districts are starting to cancel what they call courtesy bus rides. Those are the rides that kids get <clears throat> to school on buses when they live closer than the two-mile radius, which is sort of the set-off for where the state pays for uh, the transportation to school. Uh, Senator Stubbe, again, has filed legislation, and this time it would be to change the definition of who is eligible for a courtesy bus ride. It would move that two-mile radius into one-and-a-half miles, making it a little further out where people can qualify for bus rides generally. And then as well, it would allow anybody, not just the kindergarten through, I believe it is sixth graders who currently are eligible for bus routes along hazardous walking areas, but also older students as well. Because right now, the argument has been the older kids can find their way safely while the younger kids can't on those hazardous walking routes. But he's suggesting that if it's a hazardous walking route for anybody, it's for everybody. And... um, in his area, in Manatee County, I mean, there's proof of that. There was a 15-year-old walking to his high school in Manatee County and who was crossing five lanes of traffic on US-41 to get there and um, didn't make it. And that's that's one of the stories that's just one of many. We've heard the parents in Fishhawk Ranch who have been talking about how they don't want their kids walking along some of the busy roads down there in southeast Hillsborough County. Courtesy bus routes are a big deal. And, and this senator wants to change the definition. There's not a House bill yet, but this, if it gets picked up by parents, could wind up being a big deal and could be a, a rallying cry for, for people who want to have a little more protection. The question will be, will the legislature pass the bill and then not pass the money to go with the bill? Okay. Well, great. Uh, Jeff, time of the podcast where we usually uh, talk about uh, small things that we noticed over the week. Uh, how about you? What did you notice this week? Anything that passed your radar? Well, I just want to mention one small thing, and that is the VAM. We mentioned it before when Citrus County decided to do away with it. We had a long conversation about it, and I don't want to double back on that. But this week, the Pasco County School Board took the completely opposite position, and they basically decided through committee meetings 
of negotiations to not do away with VAM. They're saying that it really hasn't hurt anybody's teaching evaluation or their pay, and so they are not looking to do away with it, at least right now. They're looking at other aspects of their evaluations, which tend to be on the observation side. They're talking about how having two formal evaluations or one formal and one informal where somebody just sits in and watches and gets a snapshot isn't good enough. They want multiple small evaluations, which may include, say, the principal walking through the classroom and staying for five minutes and taking a few notes so that they have a long, year-long process of, of looking at things and giving feedback so the evaluation is more real and not so much just like a possibly a dog and pony show. And I think that's really interesting that, you know, different districts have different aspects of how they want to tackle this issue, which has been so controversial for so long. Interesting. Interesting. Well, my little thing was, I just, and this is very quick, I just noticed uh, that a lot of, uh, many, many people, uh, families took uh, advantage of local school districts and their um, their allowance, allowing uh, kids to take the day off for the partial solar eclipse. I think it, in Hernando, uh, it was 8,000 families, which I found uh, 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 eyebrow-raising. That was a, a large number, I thought. We didn't uh, get the numbers from the other districts, but uh, I suspect it's a similar amount. Um, but the 8,000 uh, students staying home for that um, that big event, and uh, it was it was uh, quite, a, quite a deal. Did you see it that day? The eclipse or the absent students? Uh, <laughs> Well, the absent students weren't there for you to see, so it would be the eclipse. Well, the absent students were around the community. I know I did get some Pasco County numbers, and they weren't nearly as high as that 40% figure. They were closer to 20% in Pasco County, although some schools were high and some weren't. Um, I know from reading in other papers that some districts had as much as 50% of students absent, and so... I hope that they all got the chance to see the eclipse because it was really cool. I went outside with my little funky glasses and stared up. I used the glasses, unlike some people on television who did not. And um, I'm feeling good still, and I enjoyed it, and I'm I'm glad I got to see it. And I hope that people didn't just use the day off to not look at it and bum around. Let's <laughs> hope it was it was a, it was a great event. That's the end of today's podcast. If you want to contribute to these conversations or any others that we've been having on our Facebook page, please visit it. It's Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. You can also follow our breaking news on our blog, tampabay.com gradebook. I'm reporter Jeff Solichek. And I'm Tom Tobin. Thanks for listening.